HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and today we will be talking about fruit with Tom Baldwin in Maui. Hello. Hello, how are you? I, I'm okay. I'm okay. How's it over there? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a beautiful day here in Denver. Oh, wait a minute. Do I have the wrong people? You're in Denver. Maybe I better go back and work at my thingy. <laughs> yeah, we're out of Denver. Oh, this is Michael from Greenline yes, Partners. Yes, it is. Um, will you mind introducing yourself? I don't, certainly. Uh, I think that uh, makes a lot of sense as a good starting point. My name is Mike Bologna. I'm the CEO and founder of Green Lion Partners. We have a few startups in the cannabis industry, and I think the one most specifically pertinent to this conversation is called Natural Order Supply. And through Natural Order Supply, we help cultivators of all sizes with everything from their CapEx to get started down to the recurring consumables of light, soil, nutrients, what have you, uh, to maintain a in environmentally efficient and hopefully high-yielding cultivation. Okay, so just to back it up a little bit, we're talking about marijuana and we're talking about the organic side of cannabis production, which is growing. And I think the reason that I learned about you is because of the Sustainable Cannabis Association who was reaching out to Greenhorn saying, um, dear young farmers, come to our Sustainable Cannabis Conference. Um, can you just give a little bit of the state of the state of cannabis production in Colorado at this time? 
Certainly. Um, so it's obviously a licensed and regulated process. So there are, you know, a finite um, number of licenses. People have to go out, apply, and um, be licensed to properly cultivate. And it's really been growing quite a bit over the last few years as the demand is, you know, consistently growing. And, um, you know, cultivators are really starting to see that there's a lot of supply on the market, and so they're turning to ways to differentiate their cultivation, uh, whether it's lower costs, higher quality, or specifically the organic or, you know, we prefer sustainable cannabis growth, which is, you know, paying a lot of attention to the science of how your cannabis is grown and being able to deliver a higher quality product to your end consumer. So here at Greenhorns, we have no problem embracing the word organic and the practices of organic um, I wonder if you could talk about how organic is situated um, in the cannabis scene. You you just did a little organic or sustainable little wiggle there, which yeah. I referred to. Can you talk about that? Gladly. Um, I, unfortunately, even though our, our industry is highly regulated, it isn't regulated in terms of, you know, an organic organization stamping cannabis. Um, and because, uh, you know, we've seen in – in the market, specifically in cannabis, but also across other industries, that that term organic is becoming sort of a, a, a buzzword and something that people are really just trying to apply onto their product without, you know, having some a third-party regulatory agency who it really has standards set forth putting it uh, in place. So what we all, you know, we just try and say environmentally sustainable. It's you know less environmentally damaging. Um, that you know, covers sort of a wider breadth, but specifically in cannabis, the term organic cannabis doesn't have any sort of third-party management. Um, and because of, you know, being a federally illegal product, you know, it doesn't seem that the federal government's going to be stepping in anytime soon to give us a ba- that badge of credit. So, you know, we just have to be careful with how and when, uh, you know, we make those claims because there isn't a regulatory body that can really put that you know, that process and testing. Well, so we should say that's because on a state level, there's legalization and medical and and non-medical legalization uh, in many states for the growing of this plant, which has been really um, forbidden. It's been a, what's it called, prohibition on the growing of both hemp and cannabis uh, varieties. Absolutely. And, the, and organic is is coordinated federally. So it's the NOP is the National Organic Program. So the National Organic Program has made a determination as yet that they cannot certify um, organic cannabis. But I just heard that there's a conversation now in the Biodynamic Association that the Biodynamic Association would be certifying producers um, as biodynamic. And I'm, I'm not sure where that stands. It may be still in the internal debate that side of things, but this is something interesting to watch as so many issues are uh, at play between jurisdictions. One thing I just learned about from the bug people down in Ventura is how many growers of cannabis are interested in biological control and the use of insects to control pests, so either predator species or parasitic wasps. Um, to control whitefly and aphids and other issues that cannabis has because there are now so many um, tests that head shops use and that individuals use to monitor for residues, poison, poisonous residues on their marijuana. And um, 
And so growers are sensitive to that and are wishing to have residue-free relationships with their distributors. Maybe you can just give a little bit of a, um, I don't know if you know anything about that or if you can talk about who the consumers are for the organic um, cannabis, like what that end of the market is like. Sure. I, just to touch on a couple of those points, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you because I hadn't heard about the biodynamics. So it's always exciting for me to, to learn something, and I, I look forward to going and researching that. So thank you for bringing that up for everybody who, you know, likely is not aware. Um, as well, you know, in terms of IPM, integrated pest management, um, we've really seen an uptick in that in the last, I'd say, year or two as, um, you know, we had specifically, excuse me, in Colorado, we had a large-scale pesticide issue where, you know, significant, significant quantities of cannabis were being pulled off the shelves due to, as you mentioned, you know, the dangerous residues that can result from incorrect application of pesticides. And so as a result, a lot of people, uh, cultivators, were turning towards IPM and learning about a lot of the benefits that these insects can have when properly introduced to a cultivation. So I think that's a trend that really has picked up, and I've seen it um, touring cultivation facilities everywhere from California, Colorado, all the way up to Canada. I think that, um, you know, it's something that, you know, as we continue to, to evolve the cannabis cultivation process and we go back to how it was grown when it was a natural wild weed, um, you know, a lot of what is there wasn't, it wasn't manually controlled by chemical-based pesticides. Um, and so I think we can learn a lot from, you know, the natural evolution, and it's exciting to see that pick up. Um, and then the third part of your your question was among the consumers, and I think that um, early on the consumers who were calling for higher regulation or more transparency into how the cannabis was grown were people who had been exposed to that type of transparency um, through you know states like California that had been around for a while or Cal- with their medical program or Colorado with their medical program, and a lot of people in states that you know never really had a choice as to what their cannabis was they you know, went to a dealer on the street corner, said, hey, can I have some weed? And that's what they were given. Uh, but now that the education is growing around the plant, we're able to do research. We're able to have, you know, a controlled and regulated end-to-end supply chain from the first seed planting down to the end consumer. Consumers are finding out that they are able to get more information on how it was grown, how it was sourced, uh, what types of chemicals were applied to it. And um, to touch on the testing again, um, you know, as increased testing regulations come out, we have more and more uh, information exposed to to the general public, and so in my opinion, it's moving from you know maybe a niche group who is you know extra concerned, you know, the people who are already you know vegan, non-GMO, you know, etc. Those who are paid very close attention to what they're putting into their body. At first, it was just those who were demanding that type of transparency for cannabis, but now I think we're seeing it you know, really a widespread consumer base, um, you know, across all demographics, age groups, geographic regions, as the understanding and transparency of cannabis cultivation continues to grow, um, I think that, you know, we'll continue to see more and more consumers and a larger and larger percentage of overall consumers really requiring that level of care in your cannabis cultivation so they know that they can trust the, the cannabis they consume at the end of the day. So, okay, so our demographic that we support here at Greenhorns, uh, as you may understand already, is young people entering agriculture and in the first stage of their career in sustainable agriculture. And so everything I'm asking is is kind of from that perspective. And from the perspective uh, of the young farmers, 
in some regions, there are young farmers who are growing marijuana as part of a farm viability pathway um, and earning more money in that than they could possibly earn growing um, vegetables. But we also have a conflict of interest where marijuana, just like the wine industry, is forcing the price of land up and competing with people who are interested in, in providing food security. I guess my question for you is, um, you're here with many fingers in the marijuana sector. You're talking about early stage structural analysis and strategy. You're talking about financing. You're talking about value chains. Um, so you're kind of located in a really different place in the business ecosystem of marijuana from our people who are who are either producers or non-producers. Um, and I wonder if you could give a little bit of um, a sense of where this business is going. Uh, is it going uh, into bigger and bigger producers? Is it going into gr warehouses and grow operations and investor ownership? Um, can you reflect a little bit about the structure of the business for our, our audience of either, you know, of people who grow or don't grow, but who are on the land um, and engaged with production? Absolutely. Um... I think that the trend that we've seen uh, was primarily an indoor grow facility within the warehouses, but um, yeah, that was more a result of being able to tightly control the environment for clear reasons that you can't do in an out outdoors grow. Uh, but as you know, price-conscious consumers and uh, people really focus on the, the quality and viability of either a greenhouse or an outdoor grow in terms of environmental efficiency and you know, energy usage, I think that we are seeing uh, tipping of the scales back to um, generally a hybrid greenhouse grow as opposed to fully outdoors. Um, unfortunately, for you know for your listeners, I will say it has trended towards larger and larger businesses with more and more capital being able to acquire the licenses. They're generally cost prohibitive and uh, very difficult to to go through, um, as, as we've seen some price competition come into the market, which I referenced a little earlier. Um, you know, some of these license holders are getting disenfranchised or unable to compete, and so we're seeing their licenses come up for, for sale, and almost always they're bought up by, you know, a larger, um, well-capitalized company than somebody who's looking to enter. That said, um, I don't believe that the demand for high-quality, well-grown cannabis is is really going anywhere, and I think that you know the farmers who who you guys target and who either are considering or currently or you know maybe have no interest whatsoever is something for them to consider. Is you know is as long as there is still you know demand for a high quality product, if they're really putting in the you know the sustainable agricultural approach and they're really you know focusing on the quality of their end product that. I think it's likely that um, you know th that the smaller growers are never going to be completely pushed out of the market. I think that much like um, you know the alcohol and wine industry, as you referenced, there are still craft growers, <laughs> craft brewers, and I think that you know the parallel there is that there will be you know smaller scale farms and, and craft growers who produce a high quality product that um, you know, they have their loyal customers and that they have you know, good word of mouth based on the quality of their product. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to be, you know, concerned and that they have no future or that they shouldn't enter. It's just something to be conscious of that, um, you know, the, the larger and larger scale cultivations are starting to conglomerate. But um, I just think there's such a strong de demand and especially for sustainably grown, um, you know, well-cared for, well-produced cannabis that, you know, when you look at the per square foot, 
you know, yield that you're going to be able to generate uh, from a farmer's perspective it is, you know, frequently more, you know, more beneficial to be dr- growing a high cash crop like cannabis um, than what we've seen historically. And um, so in, in, in agriculture, we have had a tradition of growers' organizations, the Grange, the Farm Bureau, um, different, you know, farmers' market associations on different scales growers getting together and coordinating distribution, marketing, production, um, research, quality standards, et cetera. Um, What are the structures other than the Sustainable Cannabis Association that are emerging in in this new field? Uh, There are quite a few. So rather than list them, I'd recommend that, you know, anybody interested Google them. There's everything from industry groups to – you know, that they can join to localized uh, smaller community groups. That's one thing that the cannabis industry has uh, really focused on is collaboration, open and honest communication, because it's a very collective, um, us versus the great challenge of the federal uh, prohibition. So, you know, we really are trying to put in place, uh, you know, the right structure so that people who are interested in getting into the cannabis industry can can get in and and thrive. Um, As far as growers, they do have growers organizations that are, um, you know, mostly state-specific because of you know, the way the regulations have, have come in, but also you can find them at the, you know, the county level or the local level, um, as well as, uh, you know, the standard industry groups that, um, you know, are open to not just cultivators, but have, you know, people like, you know, who have a, the business background like my firm or maybe are dispensary owners or, you know, manufacturer of the, the concentrates, et cetera, uh, but there are quite a few industry groups that are popping up, especially uh, localized in terms of the, the cultivation. And so, you know, I'd say do the research on your local organizations. Um, there's almost guaranteed to be one set up for you because of, you know, the history that the cannabis industry has, has gone through that we have to sort of band together to ensure uh, best mutual success. Well, and, and just knowing um – circumstantially how much money and investment is flowing through especially Colorado but um, but through the marijuana industry and how much these growers are paying for inputs and how much you know the frankly one thing that really strikes me is how could the kind of money that's flowing into that economy be flowing into food as well and and how could the relationships that people are forming you know, in in these industries, can some of that profitability transmit to um, value-added processing for marijuana, including med- med- uh, um, what are they called, edibles and tinctures, and uh, mm-hmm. and the same kind of infrastructure that we need for other crops start to develop um, alongside this. And I wonder, you know, where would be the place that where would be the place that those people are gathering where we could start advocating that they get serious about being in cahoots with the local food movement um, as opposed to just like a separate parallel industry like wine or booze? I think that's an excellent question and one that I wish I had a better answer to, Um, you know, cross-industry collaboration, expansion out of, you know, your own little bubble is something that I think always strengthens any business regardless of, what they're involved with. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I personally don't know of any major crossover that, um, you know, is really pushing for overarching agricultural groups to, 
you know, uh, approve of or support cannabis technologies to come up and, and, you know, learn through. But what I will say is to that note, you know, it may not so much be collaboration, but one of the interesting trends that we've seen is a lot of the cultivation technology that's being developed for cannabis, whether it's, you know, controlled and, you know, automated sensing and dispensing systems for, you know, low to no touch cultivation management to certain, you know, pesticides or, you know, beneficial microbe technologies, um, greenhouse technologies. The list goes on and on of these companies that are targeting cannabis because of the, you know, the high investment dollar, the high exposure, but also less regulation because you're not touching a food product. So, you know, you don't have to have FDA testing to, to run through the cannabis industry. So one thing I will say is that the agricultural community at large has started to show some support, show, excuse me, some support um, and technologies that are coming up and out of cannabis. So I think that adds some legitimacy to sort of the, the public perception of cannabis in the agricultural community. I, I've got, um, you know, some friends who have had some success in agricultural startup competitions that are, you know, not cannabis-specific but geared towards greater agricultural tech. And, um, you know, they've had a lot of success and seen a lot of support from, you know, those people. So I'd say, you know, just continuing to to get out there and trying to – those of us who are involved in cannabis are really focused on clearing the stigma and asking to be treated exactly like any of the other industries. So – Entering those competitions, going to the agricultural meetings of those groups and talking about cannabis and forcing the conversation, you know, is really what we have to do at this point to, to be recognized. Um, you know, unfortunately, like I said, I, I'm not aware of any other, you know, higher level crossover and collaboration, but um, you know, hopefully we get there and increase that as, as the cannabis industry continues to mature. Well, I look forward to playing nice between sectors, and um, and I think there's a great potential for collaboration and developing um, the infrastructure that we are all going to need and sharing best practices and improving the standards of production across the board and, of course, resisting corporate control of, uh, of the supply of anything we like. So um, Greenhorns doesn't have a stand on cannabis, and we don't usually talk about cannabis, so this is an exception for us, um, but we know that the money is, um, the money doesn't lie, and there's just a bunch of momentum going on in your sector, so thank you for doing what you do and supporting entrepreneurship over there and focusing on sustainable development. Do you want to just give a one-second pitch of your how to find you and, and what you offer? Absolutely, sure. So we, uh, our company is called Natural Order Supply. And you can reach us at naturalordersupply.com. Our main focus is helping, you know, not just cannabis cultivators, uh, but really, you know, any hydroponic gardener uh, primarily, uh, helping get them the materials they need, generally trying to push towards a more environmentally sustainable manner of, of growth. So, you know, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to speak with me. Certainly thank you for helping push the crossover to a group of people who may not consider cannabis on a regular basis. And, you know, I, I look forward to, to hearing more about uh, you guys as you push forward. And hopefully we'll have uh, a couple more cannabis topics, and I'm happy to come back and, and talk about them then. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And um, as all of our listeners know, um, there's a very hot debate right now about hydroponics and organic. Um, most of the elders in the community think that mega plastic infrastructure and uh, solution-based nutrition being delivered through plastic tubes to plant 
suspended in a high um, infrastructure environment is not qualified as sustainable and should not be permitted under organic. And then other people say, well, there's no poison in it and there's no dust and there's no bat shit and it's clean and, and great and efficient and controlled atmosphere is the future. And so you have a really amazing raging debate. And if you haven't tuned into it, uh, it might provide you some fun listening and I'm sure you have your own opinion, and we'd be interested to hear about it on the Greenhorns blog. But for now, I must sign off and say talk to you next week. This has been another episode of Greenhorns Radio. Bye-bye. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.